Point five, discipleship and sanctification are thus the simple outworking of worship and faith. We obey because we love our Father and King. We want to honor the one we serve. We want to be like our Father. We want to please our God now as we will please Him in the age to come. We're living out our lives in reverent fear of the day of the Lord. And so uh, this is uh, like Philippians 2. In context to Philippians 2, whatever it is, 5 through 11, where he talks about you need to have the same mind as Christ Jesus. That though being God, he humbled himself even unto death, and therefore God exalted him and gave him the name above all other names in the heavens and the earth. Therefore, in light of the way your master is, you have the same attitude and mind of Christ, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but uh, much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling and questioning that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. And so in light of the day of Christ... You are lights in the world. You're proclaiming to the earth the coming kingdom and the resurrection. Therefore, live your life the same way. Walk out the day of Christ and your inheritance with fear and trembling, actually being a light to uh, the rest of the earth that does not believe in the day of the Lord. I mean, seriously, just think in your mind, like how much of the earth actually believes in the messianic kingdom, and the resurrection of the body. I mean, it really is like, and there's no other way forward that the earth is told about the return of Jesus and the day of the Lord. There's no other way forward than that believers live together in righteousness and holiness, walking according to the Spirit, being emboldened by the Spirit, loving people without refrain and speaking the word of God boldly. I mean, there's just like, there's absolutely no other way forward and no other shortcut to it. So, uh, Hebrews 12, see to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not speak when the, if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we, if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven at that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he's promised once more, I'll shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably, acceptably with reverence and awe. And so our worship is not only like, uh, our worship is not only like Ephesians 5, uh, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, sing and make music in your hearts, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of Christ Jesus. But we, we, there is that aspect, but also we live our lives as living sacrifices, walking that out, walking our faith out in righteousness and in love and, and, uh, and holiness and reverence and awe. And so the, the, uh, the worship isn't just when it's when it's when it has something that it's based on worship plays out in tangible ways
And there's meaning behind worship playing out in tangible ways. Like when my son has woken up for the fourth time in the middle of the night, there's a direct connect by me going, God, you're going to reward the righteous in the age to come. You're going to bless those who have, who have restrained from wrath. Who, you're going to bless those who have, who have restrained their flesh and given themselves in love. And there's a direct correlation between me worshiping God and getting out of bed and not making my wife do it all the time. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's a direct correlation between my worship of God that you are holy and righteous and you will reward those who seek you and obey you and me actually walking out that worship and faith in life. And so, uh, and that's what James hits on over and over is that uh, you say you have faith, but you don't actually uh, produce fruit in accordance with it. So uh, C, Jesus exhorts his disciples to servanthood and meekness and love because they will reign in a real government on the earth. The modern church generally disregards discipleship and sanctification because an immaterial heaven has no real government to prepare for. And so just a few examples uh, of Jesus' life and the apostles' lives where the way they lived and the way they taught uh, this is how they, this is how they, this is the context that they thought in, and this is how they press their disciples to live in light of that context. And so Luke 22, in light of verse 30, eating and drinking with Jesus in his kingdom, sitting on thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel, in light of that, therefore, this is his exhortation. And so, uh, he's in context to the Passover, which we've talked about this a number of times, but I just want to r- refresh us in light of discipleship and sanctification, that the Passover be filled in the kingdom of God. In that context, verse 24, a dispute also arises among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest when the kingdom finds fulfillment. He says to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. And the New Living Translation translates the word into what it actually means. They call themselves friends of the people. People who work, they factor for the bene, the, the well-being of the people. And so the, the, uh, the, the kings of the Gentiles, they call themselves friends of the people and benefactors, but they're not actually friends of the people. They, they are... Uh, they're power-hungry and greedy in the situation. that They don't really care about anyone. And so verse 26, Not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become the youngest and the leader as the one who serves. And so the youngest meaning the one who takes the, the uh, lowest position because children were generally regarded in that society as having absolutely no societal influence or power. Uh, second only to women, I guess, but the personal and so <laughs> very male dominated class so but his point is is that you become like a child taking the lowest position in the in the room like uh like in uh like luke 14 comes to mind when jesus is in the house of the pharisees on the pharisee on the sabbath and he looks around and everybody's vying for the best position at the table 
at the at the Sabbath table the the uh, for the dinner and he says to the guy hosting the the Sabbath feast he says you know next time you host a feast don't invite all the people that can get you power and influence in this age because then they'll get you power and influence in this age and you'll be repaid the next time you do a Sabbath feast why don't you invite the people who have no influence and power, the crippled, the poor, the kids, and then you'll be repaid at the resurrection. And then the people are sitting around, they go, great is he who will sit at the, the feast in the kingdom of God. And Jesus sits there and goes, right, <laughs> you didn't get what I just said. Okay, so... The kingdom of God is like this. A guy orders a banquet and he invites everybody. Then then everybody, and he tells, he sends it out and and invites everybody into the feast. But everybody starts going making excuses. Like, I just got a field. I just got a yoke of oxen. I just got married. I can't come into the feast. I can't do the things and live lowly because of my life circumstance. And so he rebukes the people who are vying for the best positions at the table for making excuses. I really should have read from it. But that's the, that's the context of the bit, is that you become, you don't vie for position, power, and money in this age. Because that's how people live in this age, and that's, how, that's what fosters wickedness in this age. Instead, you become like kids. You bless the people that you have position and power over and the the ways that you can bless to your to the ability that you have. You don't make excuses because it really is like I mean we think it's a small deal how we do all the little strange deals to vie for position and and honor and reputation in the midst of other people. And Jesus is like, "No, that lands you in a lake of fire, for sure. It's not like a small deal, all the strange games that we play in the modern church and the way we set up all of our infrastructure and we give ourselves big names and titles as though we have, like, global influence and impact. And I mean, it's just like all of that is so crazy, and we name our churches the World Outreach Center and the Global Evangelism. It's just like global evangelism but yet you don't hardly ever live your lives in any way amongst the poor, nor do you give to the marginalized, nor do you try to express the heart of God to those who are are left out by, by society. I mean, it's just like, I mean, it really will be when Jesus returns, the greatest will be last, and the last really will be greatest. And I don't mean that in a judgmental way. I'm just telling you, don't get sucked into that whole mindset of greatness, power, influence, authority. The mindset you get sucked into is you wake up in the morning, you take account of your life, you figure out what God has given you and how you can bless the people you're around in that situation. And when God brings people into your life, like we have this one guy over the last like year in my wife and I's life, and he's just in a tough position, and he keeps coming asking for money over and over and over, and my wife's like, we don't have the money, and we're just creating a pattern, et cetera, et cetera, and, you know, and we have this whole discussion over and over of, listen, this is the guy that God has put in our lives. 
He's in a real difficult position, and he's asking for a hundred bucks. We have a hundred bucks. He's probably going to pay us back, but he may not. And so let's just give him the hundred bucks and and live with it, and don't charge him interest, obviously. And so, but that's the point: is that you don't make something happen, but you take account in your life and you figure out with what God has given you how you can love people and serve people in the situation and not vie for more power and more wealth and more money, etc. So, uh, so not so with you. The greatest of you become as the youngest. The leader is the one who serves. For who's greater? The one who reclines the table, the one who, uh, who sits at the table or reclines who reclines at the table, or the one who serves. Is it not the one who reclines the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials. I assign to you a kingdom as my Father has assigned to one me. And so, like he is an heir, we'll be co-heirs, Romans 8, etc. And so, if we partake, like, uh, what's he saying? Philippians 2. Um No, I lost it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Philippians 1, where he says, For it's been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him or with him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had now uh, now here that I, uh, and now here that I still have. And so, all right, so, um, Two, Jesus models down at the bottom of the page governance of the coming age before his death by taking on the role of the lowest servant. So it's just before the Passover feast when he gives the bit on if you don't function like the uh, so-called benefactors of the earth, then you will sit with me at my table and feast and rule on thrones. Uh, He says, just before this, Jesus knew the time has come for him to leave this world and go to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world. He showed them the full extent to his love. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power or authority. He had been given all authority to judge the living and the dead. He got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water in the basin, began to wash his disciples' feet, which that is, in their society, it's lower... Uh, or as low as the toilet washing guys. So, seriously, I mean, that's just the, nobody wants to do the dirty work it's in no society anywhere. And so it's not like a, a cultural or cultural or time thing. It's just they walk through the st- streets where all the animals poo and their feet are funky. And so it's like washing toilets that have poo all over them. All right, Uh, so he wraps the towel around. He came to Simon Peter. He said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later in the kingdom you will understand. No, said Peter, you'll never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash my feet, you have no part with me. And no part with me is in the kingdom and uh, in the inheritance. So he returned, he said, you call me Lord and teacher, rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. You'll be blessed in your inheritance in the kingdom if you do them. So these are the theolog- these are kind of the the... I don't want to say theological because I don't want to disconnect it, but these are the ideas of your mission and purpose 
that later on in the class will dr- should drive you to how you walk out the church and how you as leaders later on live and function and structure the infrastructure in the churches that you lead. Because if you set up large infrastructures with great influence over many people and much control, etc., etc., there is no way for you to function in these roles. There's just no way. And so part of this is just to protect you later on that you don't set up and lead in such a way that you structure things so that all you're involved with is administration. Like, uh, you know, like in the, the Donovan book that you're going to read, he gets to the point where he talks about, listen, we've been here for 100 years, and now all I do is do administration stuff. I keep the orphanage running, I keep the clinic running, I keep the school running, I keep the church running, and I have absolutely no interaction with the people or any kind of reasonable uh, walking out of my calling. And so he was just like, I have to scrap that whole structure of doing church so that I can do church like I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to go out to people who have never heard of Jesus. I'm supposed to tell them about Jesus. And I'm supposed to encourage them to tell others about Jesus in a way that, that facilitates them actually doing it. And so there really is, if you look on the mission field, and this is one of the strange things about studying missions, is you'll see missionaries and missions movements, they always go out and within, after they'll start and they'll plant something that may be prosperous, but always by the end of a missionary's life, they live 90% of their lives doing administration because they set up structures in such a way that they can't live out the, the life of a disciple in lowliness and humility. They can't actually do the things that serve other human beings. They, uh, they're, they're so involved with big things and controlling uh, uh, big movements. All right. So uh, Philippians, two, uh, Philippians 2, this is the, uh, the one we just quoted. We'll skip that. The apostles likewise exhort and model servanthood, meekness, and humility in preparation for the kingdom. To the weak I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that by, me, by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. And uh, clearly the gospel is in reference, the blessing is in reference to, two verses later, the crown that will last forever. And so the gospel is the the uh, kingdom and resurrection, which, by the way, I just I've been pondering on this in the last few days. Really, you have the gospel. You have two basic ideas of the gospel, and it's related again to within Christonaturalism, salvation is or the gospel is either uh, salvation and etherealized heaven, or sovereignty. And God establishing dominion over the earth. And so you either have dominionism or escapism. Poor form. So you either have the gospel as, uh, you either have the gospel of, quote, salvation, which is escapism, etherealized, 
uh, salvation, obviously. Or you have the gospel of the kingdom. This is just kind of common terminology, which is dominionism. And then, and so under this, the language that gets preached is kind of the gospel of forgiveness or reconciliation. And all of these words are biblical words in context to this, that we've been forgiven, that we might inherit the kingdom. We've been reconciled with God so that we're not destroyed when he comes. Or, but in common terminology, these words get lumped in with this idea of what the gospel is. And so then under the kingdom, you have uh, the kingdom of, uh, of uh, uh, generally it's like prosperity. A lot of your uh, gospel of the kingdom, televangelists, whatever, you get the gospel of prosperity because it's the kingdom now. Uh, sovereignty being established on the earth and the wealth of the wicked being transferred in the hands of the righteous, etc. Or you get the uh, signs signs, wonders, and deliverance, that it's the, uh, it's, uh, the, the kingdom now is through signs and wonders and the gospel of, of deliverance, etc. Or you have uh, the gospel of the kingdom is uh, like social transformation. Slash justice, etc. Since it's the kingdom now, God is taking over the earth, etc. Which, again, the gospel of the kingdom here is true. The wealth of the wicked will be transferred into the hands of the righteous. Because God will throw the wicked into a lake of fire and give their money to those who will steward it in love. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Woo. Signs and wonders and deliverance. Yes, the righteous, the earth will be delivered of all demons in the age to come. And signs and wonders point to the resurrection and the casting of Satan off the earth, etc., and social transformation, etc. But you generally, these are kind of your two mainstreams. Sorry. So, it was just on me the last few days, so I thought I would draw it out in front of you. So, uh, I do all this for the sake of the gospel. Do, not, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. And the prize is the crown of life in a second here. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training, i.e. discipleship. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I don't fight like a man beating the air. I beat my body to to make it a slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself my. Uh, will not be disqualified from the prize. Probably my most fearful verse in the scriptures. Um, He says, uh, When I was with you at the bottom of the page, I certainly gave you proof that I am an apostle, for I patiently did many signs and wonders and miracles among you. The only thing I failed to do, which I do in the other churches, was to become a financial burden to you. Please forgive me of this wrong. Now I'm coming to you for a third time. I will not be a burden to you. I don't want what you have. I want you. After all, children don't provide for their parents. Rather, parents provide for their children. I'll gladly spend myself and all I have for you, even though it seems the more I love you, the less you love me. Perhaps you think uh, we're saying these things just to defend ourselves. No, we tell you as Christ's servants, with God as our witnesses, everything we do, dear friends, is to strengthen you. And so... This is the model and example of 
how not to do it like the benefactors of the earth today. And when you go out and you lead uh, people and churches and in the mission field or whatever, you're not looking to, you know, establish a big movement. You're not looking to whatever, you know, big church, buildings, money, assets, all of that. You're looking to establish human beings around you in love and faith and righteousness and discipleship and self-restraint and a bold witness of the age to come into Jesus to exalt him. That's what you're looking for. And you scrap everything else that hinders that happening more effectively. And so, um, yeah, let's just end it there. Lord, we thank you. You have so loved us. We thank you for delivering us from darkness, for giving us a sure hope, for giving, for strengthening our hearts in your word and in salvation, God. I ask you for these students today that you would really found them in the scriptures. You would establish their message and their understanding of their own lives in the scriptures, that you would anchor their hope in the day of the Lord. And God, that you truly would hem them in in righteousness, that you would keep them from wickedness and that you would establish them without spot or blame at your coming, Jesus. We love you. We want to honor you with our lives. We want to, we just say our whole lives are yours, Jesus. We live not for our own fame, our own wealth, or our own glory, Jesus. We really do want to serve you and be your servant and that you would have our lives that truly we would have a clean conscience when we stand before you that we would have something of worth and value to present to you in the name of jesus amen